Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. In this podcast, we chat about the draw to Stoke, the defeat to Reading, Boris Poor's start. We look ahead to Swansea and answer your podcast questions. This is the Borough Breakdown podcast, and this is all your Borough Mash Day chatter in a pod. Want support. Curtis Fleming is there on the edge of the air. Fleming for That's Craig it. Hignett. Hit it, Higgy. Higgy hits the track. Avanelli coming alive again. Janino wants the ball played to him. Avanelli spots out. Hello and welcome to the Borough Breakdown podcast with Johnny Dana and Tom. The Borough podcast that gives you all of your Borough match day chatter in a podcast. And just before we start this week, I just want to give a little push to the Football Content Awards. We're going, we're up for the best podcast in the AFL. And if you think we're the best podcast in the AFL, uh, fill in the form. It's in the description below on our YouTube channel um, and on the podcast apps as well. Just simply go on the, the link. Put Borough Breakdown in the best podcast AFL box and then submit it. And you never know, we could be the best podcast in the AFL. Uh, but let's talk about the Borough now. Um, and a draw and a defeat saw Borough drop to 23rd in the championship table with three points from five games and no wins. Now, the last time Borough failed to do so uh, was 2003-2004. And that, do you know what year that was? The year we won the Carling Cup. And that's uh, we after that, we did go on to... To lose two and sixteen games after that poor start, and that was from Borough Farm on on Twitter, who tweeted us that. Um, but guys, it's been an emotional roller coaster uh, this week. You know the the heights and the low, the highs and the lows probably of of Stoke midweek, and then the performance yesterday, Tom, which I'm sure you will be very very happy about um, in just a moment. <laughs> um, but Dana, how are you feeling? In as many words as you want. Yeah, it's a bit of a weird one because after the Stoke game, I was quite optimistic and I tweeted out after the game that I saw enough in that match to be really happy and excited for when this team clicks. And then I said in brackets, because it will. And then the game yesterday just made me question that and made me feel really deflated and really disappointed and confused as well because... I kind of look at this Middlesbrough team and I don't recognise it anymore. There were so many good parts of our play last season that have kind of gotten away from us this. And it just feels very odd. We're in a very strange moment at the moment and I'm hoping that we can get through it. It almost feels like we're taking steps back to take steps forward in a way. So it's a bit strange, but yeah, hopefully this can be put aside and we can get the victory against Swansea because my God, we need it. We definitely do. Um, Tom, how are you feeling? Uh, 
Dana just said deflated there, and I think that's definitely my word of the day. Um, I've, I'm you know, tired after yesterday. It was a long day going to, going to Redden and back and just seeing that shocking performance. Um, I, I think very similar to Dana. I was optimistic after the Stoke game. I did think we should have won that game. And just to, to concede in, in like a lapse of concentration at the end um, and, and then... You know, taking that into, into Reading yesterday on the way there, I thought this time we're going to go one of one of two ways. Either we're going to get the the win because we have possibly deserved a win in a couple of games we've had, um, you know, early on this season, or you know, Reading are going to carry the momentum from midweek over and and batter us. But in in the end, both teams were power and we just didn't turn up. Um, so very very frustrated after that. Mm, okay, then both deflated. Um... I I could probably echo what you always are saying as well. I think the performance against Stoke was really good, and we'll come on to that in just a moment. And then Reading performance, you know, you wanted something, you wanted a bite, you wanted something to to really go at. And I thought we were going to put in a really big performance against Reading, and it didn't materialise whatsoever. Um, me predicting three nil, and <laughs> obviously we were never ever going to score three nil because still be playing. We could still gonna we could be playing now, and we'll never score, but. Um, yeah, I think deflated is probably the, the keyword for, for the for the short term. I think longer term, when I'm looking at the signings we're making and looking what we're trying to do on a on a longer term scale, I'm, I am thinking it's going to be the future is always going to be brighter. But it's just a case of we need the right now to to really kickstart our season, and then once we kickstart and really get that first one under our belts. I think we, we will be okay and I think it'll be a good season for us regardless. And, you know, if it's not this year, I think it'll be next year. But I know that's, it's like, not, I'm not writing this off at all, but just saying like the signings we're making relatively quite young players, look at the, like grow them over time. So maybe it could be a next season job, but who knows? Who knows? But I think just deflated in the short term, longer term, I'm, I'm fairly decent. But should we look back uh, to Stoke then? Because the, the bet three six five Borodjo two two, Stoke went ahead, um, and then we equalised uh, through Duncan Watmore of a really really good goal, and then we went ahead with an own goal, which by Phil Jagielka, but it could have been counted as Duncan Watmore because in the right place at the right time, and then Dimaggio, right Phillips or the regen right Phillips um, was home to to salvage a point for the Potters and deny Bora a first win of the season. Dana, how did Boren not win that game and how would you assess the performance against Stoke? Yeah, we drew a 2-1 game, which is probably the best way that I can describe it. And if I say that we lost the game, I apologise. It it felt that way. So, you know, from now on, if I reference this as a defeat, I apologise. It just felt like that late sucker punch at the end. It was so frustrating, wasn't it? Because in the first half, in fact, the, the majority of the game, we just dominated them. And then they obviously stole the goal at the end, snatched the point away from us. And then they got booed off the they got booed off still. So I think that sums up what Stoke fans felt of that performance. They sat back from the get-go. They played like the away side. I tweeted that, and then of course they went up the other end and scored. And that could be a, a really dangerous part of Borough's game in possession we need to be a lot better with it because on the turnover we've already been caught out on the counter a couple of times the first goal that we conceded against West Brom came on the counter attack that could be a really dangerous part of of our game of vulnerability of ours but yeah we just I mean we had the opportunities there were opportunities in the in the second half agree had a, a few chances he snatched at them we just 
we threw away a goal, uh, sorry, a game with a goal in a really pivotal moment. And what I've noticed of Borough talking about trends and patterns so far this season, we seem to be poor moments. We went poor the majority of that game. We were good. And we deserved to get something out of that game. And then, unfortunately, it's just that mo- that one moment where you want Borough to, to kind of stand up and, and defend well. We just didn't. And, I mean, I say we drew a 2-1 game. That was a foul on Isaiah Jones in the build-up to the first, 100%. I know the referee apologised to Wilder after it, but it was just... It was so weird because... Yeah, people might hone in on the, the the goal that we conceded at the end, but we did play some really good stuff and I thought we were worthy of getting three points out of the game. It's just, as I said, in those moments, we need to be good defensively. We're just falling so short. Individual mistakes seem to be really uh, problematic for us at the moment. Tom, would, how would you echo? Would you echo most of that? And then also, how would you assess it? Because it was a really good performance, wasn't it? Yeah, I, I did think it was a good performance. We definitely deserved a win. Um, I think, as as Dana just mentioned there, it was for sure uh, a foul on Jones before the first goal. Referee apologised, but doesn't really mean anything after, you know, we, we can't have the three points because of his mistake. Um, but then your know, lapse in concentration at the end uh, really let us down. But overall, I was I was much more happy with the performance. I thought this is where we've clicked. We're going to be able to kick on from here. I thought if we carry this performance over into Reading, we'll absolutely play them off the park. And it was just a different team, that, uh, Borough team that, that turned up that day. But overall against Stoke, absolutely deserved the win. I think the the one kind of criticism for me is the, the fact that we... There was no kind of like gamesmanship towards the end to kind of see that out. Um, you know, we could have like done the same thing as Reckon did to us yesterday, could have kept it in the corner. Uh, but, you know, we, we were swinging corners into the box within injury time and essentially giving them the ball back. So, you know, I, I think we need to be a little bit smarter with these games in, in the future, especially when we're dominating like we do. A little, it was a little bit naive, wasn't it? Sorry, John. It was a bit bit naive. But like Wilder said after the game that maybe it was my fault that I didn't put on a Dale Fry or a Tommy Smith. But you can see both sides of the coin, or certainly I can anyway, because it did seem like Borough were in the ascendancy that they were going to get a third or at the very least just keep the lead. It didn't feel like at any point we were going to lose that until obviously we did. So I can understand both sides. Obviously, looking back with hindsight, which of course the old cliche is it's a beautiful thing. Yeah, maybe Wilder could have shut up shop and, and put a defender on and sort of shored it up at the back. But I think game state matters and it did feel like Borough were going to push on for that third. But obviously you're kind of left to, to rear your own mistakes there. And yeah, maybe you could have put on a defender, but it is what it is. Yeah, and to be honest, I know you've, you've both mentioned it there, like the, the both one, uh, both sides of the coin, New Dana and, and Tom Royal game management. When I was watching the game, I, I didn't, see boring any danger whatsoever dominating yeah. the game I didn't think you needed to put on a Dale Fry or a Tommy Smith I didn't think we had to see out the game at all I thought the game was already seen out um, and, and, and I thought we should have probably scored three or four or five um, on the night I just thought it was a really solid performance and it showed a lot of positives of what we can be and where we can go and what this team can look like maybe in the future because the movement was really good, the possession was good, it was possession with intent, we were creating good chances and good and high quality chances as well. We just needed the striker to put them away at times. I think also McGree's big chance as well in the second half. 
And there was just so much of that game which I really enjoyed. And then that typical Borough sucker punch at the end. And I was just, I remember sat on this chair and I'm watching it on the TV next to me. And I'm just like, I just sunk. And I was just like, well, that is the most, I just like, I was like, you know, like Neil Warnock, where did it? Like, yeah. like, I, I just did the Warnock. And, and I was like, oh, how, how, how can you throw away a game like that? But I will come on to like Stokes equalizer in a second. But Tom, real positives from the game. Obviously, the 19 passes to the goal. Um, the equaliser was really, really good. Boris' second goal was really, really good. Do you think this this does, although the, the, it was a draw and it was a sucker punch, and yes, the Reading game was poor, but do you think this really does show that there is a lot of positives to take from our performances so far this season, even though points don't reflect that? Uh, I think there's some positives. I think that, that being that we clearly have the ability, we can clearly play good football, Um but like I say, we, we just need to be smarter on on, on seeing games out. The, the passing play towards the equaliser, you know, patient build-up, good finish. Um, it's the type of play I want to see. Uh, I think we we kept hold of the ball excellently in that build-up and, you know, big fan of possession football. I, I, I like to see us do that, but it doesn't mean anything when we're not getting the points. So I, I think it, it's only... A slight positive for me, and and like I say, I think we just need to be smarter uh, than than we have been in the first few games. Okay, then. Well, let's talk about Stoke's equaliser then, because Dana, a regen right Phillips from absolutely nowhere, as you like to call him, uh, but the manager right Phillips, he found himself in a really good pocket of space in the box right at the death. But but could have Borough done a little bit better there defensively? Yeah, 100%. I mean, it starts with our throwing in our own half. And the throwing is actually, it meets a Borough player. It's Paddy McNair that gets his gets his head to it, but he heads it back towards our goal. And then I think it might be Lewis Baker that then wins the second header. Jacob Brown does really well to trap the ball and release it, which, I mean, I'm a big fan of Jacob Brown, by the way. We should put a cheeky deadline day bid in for him because he's a very good player in my eyes. Um, but then it's fine after that because Borough get back into their shape. Ryan Giles is obviously in a position where, yes, the player that's there, I don't know who is, I apologise for that, but he could obviously get in behind, but I think Bowler would be able to cover. But there's a decent line there and it seems very set. They get back into their, their shape and it appears like we've effectively gotten back into position and stopped the, an opportunity for Stoke to get in behind. But then what happens is that Lenahan steps into Mark Baller's space, steps to the left as Lewis Baker picks up the ball on the edge of the 18-yard box. And it allows Tyrese Campbell to make a run in the space behind Lenahan. And you'll see that that gap between Lenahan and Dykesteel gets bigger and it allows for that space to be taken up by Tyrese Campbell with the run that he makes in behind. He just peels off Lenahan, who's obviously, he's got all eyes on Lewis Baker uh, and on the ball. And then much like against QPR, Dyke Steele's then caught in between two two players. Uh, for QPR, it was Lyndon Dykes and Rob Dickey. This time, it's Tyrese Campbell and then DiMaggio Wright-Phillips. He makes a second. If you look at his body movement on the goal, he makes a, a last a last second, a split second decision to attend to Tyrese Campbell instead of DiMaggio Wright-Phillips. And obviously, 
if you watch the the uh, the goal the move that sort of starts it off Dykesdale is with Wright Phillips initially it's who he's marking but then he has to change that at the last second because obviously Tyrese Campbell's got the run on Lenan and then it just creates this situation where Wright Phillips gets in between Jones and Dykesdale and is allowed the, the space and the time to head home. It's a really, really poor goal to concede. And obviously you could say we should never have been in that position from the throw. And the actual throw is fine. As I said, it, it gets to Paddy McNair. It, it's, his head just goes straight back to our goal. And yeah, it's just Lenahan's Lenahan is a very aggressive defender from what we've seen. He will step out, he'll try to win the ball back and he'll try to close down that space. It's something that Andy from Rovers Chat told us when we did the Lenahan breakdown. But sometimes it's a detriment to us because against West Brom, he did do it and it cost us in behind on the counter-attack. Um, I just feel like maybe he could be a little bit little, little bit smarter there um, because I think it makes it's that 1% that you always say, Johnny, that makes that big difference. Um, and Lenahan just stepping out there opens up that gap. It widens that gap between Dykesteel and uh, and Lenahan himself. And then Dykesteel has to make that decision. They keep doing Dykesteel dirty, I swear down, um, because that's the second time he's been caught in between now. Um, yeah, it's just a really, really crap goal to concede. Um, and of course, it's probably the smallest player on the pitch that scores it as well. Um, yeah, memories of Jay Tab, which is uh, not a great memory at all. Not at all. Uh, but I think with the with that goal at the end as well, I think Jones could do a little bit better there. It looks like he switches off ever so slightly, um, which also doesn't help. I think when you go back to that first graphic where you look at the or the second graphic, then I think where it was the the back four, back five. I think it's a uh, yeah. It's, I think it's, it's essentially a four v four. Really, when you want to look at, it, I think the player coming in behind who's in front of Giles. Then also you've got you can move baller along. You, uh, Delanahan can move along, and then Jones can be again move in again so you've still got a very narrow line there and again that probably wouldn't lead to um, an offensive probably opportunity for Stoke but again like you can look at this and look at a still image and dissect it and say this could be that better this could be that better but end of the day they've switched off at a key moment in the game and they've been great for 99% of it and that 1% they switched off and that's how the draws materialised and I think Tom I know while I was saying that we could have had an apology from the referee I mean, yeah, it's all well good, isn't it? I mean, but we haven't got the points that we deserved because of just a, just a simple error. Yeah, definitely. I think, um, as I said earlier, it doesn't really mean a lot, that apology after the game where, you know, the refs admit he's made a mistake, but, it, it, you know, it's it's already cost us within the game. And we cost cost ourselves it at the end as well. Um, as I said earlier, like the lack of game management, I think you need to be... A, aware of that situation as you said you know we never looked in danger of of conceding we were always on the ascendancy but with you know two minutes left in injury time you've got the three points in the bag pretty much you may as well just see it out rather than than go for a third um i i think that is the the smarter way of doing it but we were de- we definitely were cost by the referee and haven't come back from a one nil deficit in the first place Okay then, um, I think if you're a Stoke fan as well, you're disappointed with the performance. I think they got they got beat to Sunderland yesterday as well, and things are looking a bit 
gloomy uh, in Stoke at the moment. Uh, but we'll soon see if Michael O'Neill gets the sack or not and see if he fights another, fights another day. Ben Rowley, who we, we speak to from the YYY files, thinks he's going to move upstairs uh, as more of a head of football role. And then I think Dean Holden is set to take over. That was the expected uh, changes that could potentially be made at Stoke. So something to keep an eye on on that front if you're a championship follower. Uh, but let's look ahead. Uh, let's look ahead. Look ahead. Sorry, let's look back to Reading now. See, I mean, I'm trying to get rid of it out of my head straight away but uh, it was a second <laughs> game in a week uh, on our travels and the Royals were, were on a high after beating Blackburn earlier in the week and they were kept on cloud nine by beating Borough one goal to nil courtesy of a goal from Tyrese Fauna in the 28th minute and uh, while they made two changes um, from the draw against Stoke with Fry and Foster coming in Dan, Dale Fry hooked at half time again um, playing right centre back thoughts on the Friar situation because he was very very good last year that central figure in defense um this season he just seems to have a bit of a stuttering start but what's what's your thoughts on the situation with Fry? but also what do you think is his best position his best position is in the center of a back three it's definitely not on the right and I was just mystified really as to why you've got Lennon who we've We've been told by many Blackburn fans he's good at bringing the ball out from the back. He's decent in possession. He's got a good diagonal on him where he can step out and he can obviously play that pass. Why he's playing as a stopper in the middle? when you, And then you've got Dill Fry playing as the wide centre-back when last season it was Dill Fry that was in the middle and playing very, very well. I think last season our best-performing defender or one of them anyway um, and I still think he's the best defender at the club because the jury is still out on Lenahan although I'm definitely warming to him a lot more but I just felt that was very strange from Wilder and then to take out somebody in Dykesteel who is very good and very well suited to being a wide centre-back and putting in Fry it just didn't make sense to me it really baffled me the team selection um, his Situation at the moment is interesting because it's basically him and Lenahan vying for one position for me, which is in the middle. Um, I don't have anything against Lenahan being in the middle, but when you've got Fry as the wide centre back, surely those should be switched. But his yeah, his situation is interesting at the moment. In my personal opinion, he plays because, as I said, I think he's our best defender. But I don't know. It's it's very strange at the moment, isn't it? Because it seems like Wilder doesn't know his best eleven, and that he's uprooting a lot of what was good last season in terms of personnel in the team. So hopefully he can just settle on a team at the moment because there's, I feel like there's too much chopping and changing at the moment. And last season we were so good at keeping an eleven when we could, and now it just seems like he's a bit confused and the team is playing like they're also confused. So yeah, it's strange with Fry, but I would I would I would have him in that team. Tom, would you agree with that? Um I'm not sure. I mean after that that performance yesterday from Lenahan, I think he got his head on absolutely everything. Um I've honestly lost count of the amount of headers that he won. I do think he suits playing that uh, central position. One of the uh, the kind of notes I had on the game was we played much better when McNair was right centre-back. So I think going forward, I'd like to see McNair right centre-back, if not him, Dykesdale. Because um, I think in the first half, we really struggled with bringing it out from the back on both sides as well. I don't think Fry suited to it, and I don't think Bowler suited to it either. Um, and it was very, um, very kind of reminiscent of the um, the Blackburn game for me last season, um, 
we just didn't seem to have a clue on where to play it out from the back. And there was a lot of safe passes back to, to Lenahan in the middle to kind of dictate it out to either sides, but it didn't get us anywhere. Um, and, you know, obviously Lenahan was on the other team last, last year and it was Fry having to do the uh, dictating which side actually went out to, but it was, it was so frustrating to watch. Hmm. Do you think there's a ceiling on, on Del Fry a little bit, Tom, because like, you know, I think you're what, 20, 25, 26 now, Del Fry. Um, look, you've got that now, isn't he? I think he's like 24. Uh, is he t- 24? I'll have to double down after fact fine for me. But uh, I'll say established, established uh, in the team now. He's been around since what, 2016, 2017. Um, and, you know, I appreciate he's become like a mainstay in the sides. You know, teams have, have came in for him, but haven't sold. Um, is it, are, we, are we at a point now where. We have to think: Can we get money for Del Fry and, and sell him on and keep Lenahan in that position, or would you rather just see him fight it out for that team, try and get that mainstay, and, and see if he can progress further? Because how high is that ceiling for Del Fry? Because he hasn't made that jump just yet. I'd rather see him and Lenahan fighting it out for the centre spot. Um, as I said, I don't think uh, Fry particularly suits playing as a, as a wide centre back. I think he has to be in the centre of the three. Um, and and like I say, I, I thought Lenahan was probably one of the only players who you know get a little bit of credit from me yesterday just for the amount of of headers that he he won in in that centre back spot, but. In terms of Del Fry, I'd, I'd still like to keep hold of him. He's a very good player. Um, I think he's he's proven that. And he's very much uh, like grown over the last couple of seasons. Um, in terms of a ceiling, I, I would think he's still got growth potential at that centre-back position. Um, I do think in terms of that position, a, a lot of it's going to be based around reading the game. Um, obviously, Lenahan's got a few years head start on him there, but... I don't think a lot of defenders really come into the prime until the late 20s or, or kind of early 30s from that ability to to read the game. So I, I still think there's growing there for, for Fry to do. Um, hopefully, you know, having Lenahan there to compete with uh, could potentially help him there and, you know, he can, can learn from that experience as well. But I, I don't think there's any kind of real... Uh, urgency or rush to to cash in on Fry right now because he's far from the the finished product. Yeah, no, that's it, fine. I think we, I think when when we're looking at things and, and assessing things now, obviously it's early doors. We're obviously still in the market. We need probably the funds to to do so as well. And, and I appreciate fans are going to probably say, "Well, we've got thirty million from Spence and Tav," but again, the operating losses that we were at over the last couple of seasons, the new model we're trying to drive. Again, that's I could always look at the assets and say, well, what can we look to move on, or what can we look to to do? I think if you if you Chris Wilder now, you're looking at your back three and go, do I put McNair back in that left centre back role um, instead of Baller? You know, last year we were saying McNair could be a little bit slow on the transition side of things, but is it one? Is that like the the only negative that you've got? And there's a lot more positives. I think McNair's a bang average midfielder, but a really good defender. So it's for me, it's like should probably stay there. And do you keep Dyke Steele there, or do you, or what do you do? Do you know? Do you, do you put someone? Or do you put someone else in there ahead of him? So you put Fry Martin right Craney, side, Martin Craney, the Martin Craney uh, region, <laughs> and, and Tommy Smith. So, um, let, but it's it's an interesting thing, and we'll come on to it in a second when we talk about Boris' uh, form and the season so far. But Tom, you were at the game yesterday. 
you know, the, the long drive down to Reading um, at the Madstad. How would you assess things from your seat um, on the game yesterday? I just thought it was a very poor performance uh, and a step backwards from from uh, Stoke. Like I said, it reminded me of the Blackburn game last season, but also because it was a similar view as well. Uh, I think I was in like the fourth row. I was only a few rows up from where Yusuf is, if you can see him on the uh, cameras after after the goals. Uh, well, after the goal from uh, from Reading, but. Um, yeah, the uh, defence looked too afraid to go forward in the first half, too many safe passes across the back. Um, thought Redden uh, really uh, nullified us by sitting deep, uh, and we made it quite easy for them in that respect as well. Second half was better with uh, McNair at right centre-back. Um, I thought he did link up well with, uh, with Crooks and Jones, uh, but we, I thought we were tr- constantly trying to overcomplicate things as well. I thought I was living in an IT crowd episode because it was a ludicrous display and we kept trying to walk it in. Uh, <laughs> the only thing that was missing was Wilder bringing Walcott on too early. But, um, <laughs> you know, there was there was one point in the second half right in front of me where we got a corner. McNair ran over and Giles was already jogging over across the, uh, across the penalty area and McNair just took it quickly to Jones. We ended up giving it away. And Lenahan was absolutely going to spare at McNair for that. And I can understand why when, you know, we had Lenahan who was winning everything in the air yesterday. We had Crooks in the box as well. And we took it short and, you know, tried to, you know, create that perfect angle for a cross when we could have just whipped it in from a corner. There was too many times on the right-hand side where we were waiting for a perfect passing move. Um, You know, we had McNair had the ball. Jones down the right-hand side would have been very easy for... McNair had just play a ball out wide for Jones to run onto and get a cross in. And we just kept passing it around that triangle and looking for that perfect angle, that perfect run. And it just we need to really simplify that, I think. Um, there was a couple of times late on where Jones had the ball and he didn't wait and he just took his man on. And he actually had success with those. So I think we need to try that more often. Um, like I say, we, we just need to simplify it rather than playing like we have all the time in the world at 1-0 down. Mm. And for all that possession as well, what we had, uh, what you've been mentioning there, Tom, it was, it was 72% uh, percent, in fact, 16 shots, but nothing. Um, Dana, how did Borough come away with, with nothing? <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, 16 shots, but I don't think there was a point where I was like, on you know like a, a high quality chance so we're all fairly low in terms of the xg and mm. it just felt like reading know how to nullify us because in the game last season at the riverside where we snatched it at the end they actually did really well to nullify jones they were doubling and tripling up on us on him sorry and then they tied at the end and that's what kind of allowed jones to then put that fantastic ball into the box for crux's header but they just limited the space they weren't aggressive impress against Jones it was just limiting that space where you will see us operate in those triangles and the off the ball movement and it was just shutting off that completely and then they compacted the middle as well and I think they knew that we weren't gonna hurt them in the middle because I certainly don't expect I know it was a fantastic pass from McNair to Jones for the goal against Sheffield United but I certainly don't expect that from him I don't expect a defense splitting ball don't expect that from Housen I kind of expect that level of creativity from Riley McGree, but he's just not been on it of late. So they were nullifying us out wide, 
blocking that space and we had no answer to it at all and I don't know what was going on with us really it was like we we're stuck in the upside down like wills in the walls and I don't know Max is there and, and we just need Kate Bush to bail us out or something because it was just so weird the way that we were just passing the ball around with no conviction and it's funny because Russell Martin would be proud of that we play Swansea next and their fans have all been up in arms about the the lack of real as I said conviction and guile to their passing yeah, and it's just, it's kind of like what we were doing yesterday. Um, it was baffling to watch. And I just looked at my dad at one point and I just shut my head thinking, what am I actually watching here? It was just, we weren't doing anything. We just had all the ball and we weren't doing anything with it. There was a point in the second half where Ryan Giles got the ball and I was like, oh, so Ryan Giles is in the game. I just forgot he was there. And it was just, yeah, it was poor. And what summed it up was when Howson went to take that corner and then it was like if there could be a foul corner that would be it it was what what happened he, he went to play the ball then didn't get anywhere near enough on it then yeah. tried to wait for Giles to come over but it was too far away so it was just a mess that <laughs> was, was over the other side of the ground from me and it just looked like he tripped over the ball like no idea what had happened he mm. kicks the corner flag and then obviously the ball rolls forwards um, and then he looks at Giles and then he's like, well, are you going to get it? And he's like, well, no. Um, but I feel like if there's, t- if there's like two things that sum up the game yesterday was the, that like the photo of Bowser where his head is, his head's in his hands and, um, and that, that corner probably, I think that, sh- that highlighted everything that we needed to know about that performance yesterday. And there's, I think there's a photo of a, uh, of Moonis as well, uh, who who does exactly the same thing. So, I mean, he's like, he's probably thinking, what on earth have I just signed for here? Yeah. Um, but I'm assuming, Dana, that that's pretty much highlighted all of our weaknesses. Uh, a team that's in a very, very low, in a very, very low compact block, making it really difficult. The space was limited. And that's how you, if you're off your tempo, that is exactly what yeah, can happen. And it really highlights Bora's weakness when they're off the boil. Yeah, 100%. I don't think I could take a single positive from that game yesterday. Um, I'd love to to come on here and, and say that there was a positive, but I don't think there was one. And it was weird because I was talking to to Flo, who's, um, I think we've got him to support Middlesbrough now. He's an 1860 fan. He watches the, the games every now and again. And he said it, the build-up to the goal against Stoke, he made a point about it being, the, the build-up play being too slow. And I was thinking, what are you on about what we scored? But then literally everything that he was talking about was a problem for us against Reading. It was just so slow and pedestrian. You're thinking, right, we need that pass to quicker the tempo. We need to switch it out wide. We need to some invention, some inspiration. We didn't have that. And I'm looking at players like Riley McGree to offer us that and he didn't. And then what more comes on, he does he can't make the ball stick. Force was pretty much anonymous by that one run in the first half. Um it's just very discombobulated in that Middlesbrough team right now. You think about that Preston game that ended the season last campaign. When we got top four one, by the way, in case anybody's forgot. But it felt like now we're further away to being an established and complete team as we were then. And that's fine because by default, I mean, we've we've gotten rid of loan players and sold our best player in Tav. Just put that out there. But it feels like even the components that were good last season aren't so much this 
Um, mm. You know, the midfield being a prime example of that. Our midfield has gone from being one of the best parts of the of the the team to being one of the weakest and most vulnerable. Um, the only major improvement I've seen is that obviously the left hand side with Ryan Giles, and it's early days. Of course, it's early days. I can't stress that enough. But yeah, it was a worry yesterday. It, it has to be said. I can't come on here and say that it wasn't because the performance was really, really, really poor from Borough. Okay, then. Uh, Tom, probably the final question on, on, on Reading um, was the first look of Matthew Hoppy um, following his move from Mallorca. Um, is there, was there any initial thoughts uh, from you on, on from the stands? Because he did that lovely flick when he first came on and then it just felt like we saw the good and then also the very rawness of, of Borough's new centre-forward. Yeah, I mean, he looked bright when he came on. Uh, had some good runs, that flick, as you, you just mentioned. I thought he had a good touch and decent passing. The only thing is he doesn't look like a natural finisher. I think the the overall consensus in the in in the stands and everyone around me uh, was that he just he kind of takes too long to get a shot off. There was a chance where it was pulled back to him by Giles, I believe it was. He took a touch, looked up, shot, but by the time he'd done all that, about four people had jumped in the way of the shot, and there was there was absolutely nowhere to get a shot off. Um, you know, there was a, a, a bit of later on where, uh, you know, similar situation, the ball had come to him off a scramble and he just kind of shot it straight into a Redden defender. So I think other than that, I mean, he, he did look um, look bright and, uh, you know, left-footed as well. So kind of does solve a uh, kind of balance issue on that left side of uh, being up, uh, of, of the striker partnership. Um Pressed well, and you know he, he was getting in in the Redden players' faces as well, which we were told to expect from him. Um, yeah, it just seems kind of very very raw at the moment, and does need to to work on the the confidence around his finishing, I think, and and being able to hit things first time because you, you're not going to have that amount of uh, time that to take a touch, take a look look up, and you know figure out where you want to slot it when there's you know five players trying to close you down in, inside the six yard box. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Okay, then. Uh, but there'll be more about Matthew Hoppy in the, in the coming weeks. So it was very small sample size, but we'll see more of him in, in, in a few weeks. But let's move on to the praise and place then, because the praise and place is the place we give a praise to a fan. Chips and gravy, the palm I had last night, which was absolutely banging, and much, much <laughs> more. Um, guys, look, I know it was a difficult week, but we have to have a bit of positivity here and there. Uh, but who gets your nomination this week if there is anyone? Uh, Tom, do you want to stay with you? Is there any positives that you want to take? No, not really. Uh, you know what? I'm right, let's move on. If I'm giving praise and place to to anyone, it'll be the fans that turned up to Stoke and turned up to Redden yesterday, especially Redden yesterday. Long long drive down there from uh, from Borough, and you know, unlike the team, at least the fans turned up. Okay, then. Oof. Uh, we'll be back in just a couple of minutes to, and just like <laughs> Tom's just on fire um, then, uh, is Tom, then is there anyone that wants to be in your present place uh, yeah I'm going to go for Duncan Watmore because we said on this podcast that it's probably time to move Duncan Watmore on and I still kind of feel like that but he played well against um, against Stoke, and I was really disappointed he didn't get that second goal. I mean, for God's sake, Phil Jagielka, it was literally his birthday. Can he not just gift... Uh, it was Phil Jagielka's birthday, of course. Can he not just gift that back to Duncan Watmore? Because it was a great run, by the way. If anyone's watched the goal back, which I'm sure we have, um, if you watch Duncan Watmore's run, it's just really simple, but he gets... Um, he gets at the near post um, in front of Phil Jagielk and he makes that happen. So that was fantastic from Duncan Watermore. Great industry, really great work. Um, dare I say, what more could you want? I think it was a good performance from him. And um, yeah, he, he, I think he deserves some praise uh, this week. Okay, I can echo that on what more. I think for the, for the Stoke performance, absolutely. Ryan Giles would always get a mention for his performance. Isaiah Jones played well uh, on... On, on Wednesday night and you know there is positives I think from from the week in general like the the Stoke performance like I've mentioned at the start of the show was really really good just poor at the end uh that one percent difference each week we just need to improve on it um but I think we'll get it right um so if I have to nominate someone I'll probably want more to go from that but I kind of want to talk about Borough's form because it's no wins in five obviously and we're second bottom now um, if you want to stretch that back further, we had a tweet as well from, from Joseph Dredge, and he said it's two wins in 14 in all competitions. Um, where do we go from here, essentially? And I want to get your thoughts on it because it's so early in this in, in the season, of course, and there is concern online, and there always is. It's the highs and lows of social media and that emotional thoughts of it. Uh, but is there a cause of concern, Tom, about Boris Farm so far? Yeah, I would say a little bit. I mean, I'm not panic stations yet at the moment. You know, there's 41 games left to go. It's it's a very long season. Things are, are, are going to change. Um, but I just feel like we need that win to, to lift confidence. 
And I think it has to come against Swansea. I don't think we can go into the games against Watford and Sunderland uh, having not won, especially the one against Sunderland, because, you know, the pressure will be much higher in that point and that will suddenly turn into a derby again if they win. So, <laughs> yes, <laughs> yesterday was the, the type of game we should be winning and we didn't turn up. But, you know, we, we need to be... Uh, be beating Swansea. We need to lift the performance levels and, and and get a win to to get us off the mark, get confidence up, and you know if we get one win, I'm sure more will follow. How can we improve things, Dana? Like obviously the form might be a concern for you. I want to hear your opinion on that. But how can things be improved as well? I think we should just revert back to what was a winning formula for us last season. We've got Rodrigo Muniz in now, 3-5-2, put Paddy at left centre-back, uh, Dyke Steele right centre-back, either Lenahan or Fry in the middle. And obviously, Crux's season has, in terms of performances, uh, some people have, have criticised them, uh, criticised him. I just think go back to what we know from last season, go back to what worked well and then try to kind of fill in the holes. We just keep kind of changing things. And if we just go back to what was good last season and then adopt it to the 2022-23 version, then hopefully we could get, we could get a result. But I also think that we've got another question on this key mistakes. We need to eradicate them because it's, Mm. it's problematic at this point. Yeah, I think we can resolve that in the transfer window as well. Um, I think le- I think centre defence midfield is, is a big position for us. Uh, it might be a, like an unpopular opinion. I think we need that replacement for Housen. Uh, when Housen doesn't play well or is slow in possession, we're very slow off the back of that. Uh, we have to be much quicker in our dictation of play. And I think Housen is very key to, to that. We've seen teams put a couple of people on house or try to press him quite early um, and that forces Borough to be a little bit slower in the build-up play. Um, I thought Josh Cullen would be, would be a perfect sign for us this summer, uh, but obviously he's he's went to Burnley and I think that's natural. I think obviously I watched a lot of Josh Cullen last year with uh, under-election. It's just a shame to, to see him do quite well for, for Burnley, but it shows that how key a defensive midfielder can be. Um, I think Housen is good, but you know, mid thirties now we have to look past Johnny Housen and try to get someone in. For when Housen has a bad game, can we bring someone in to try and speed the tempo up a little bit faster? Um, and Adam Forshaw would have been perfect, probably for that type of role uh, at times. But it's a it's an interesting position for Borough at the moment. I think we have to try and resolve things fairly quickly. I agree with you, Dana, on on the centre-back roles and, and trying to put things back to normal. I think we need to go on the market again for that centre-mid role and then also probably a, a, maybe another striker, but I think we can come on to that in our lowdown video, really, um, which will be released in the next couple of days. And I want to come on to Moonies in a second, but a lot of strikers, we need to probably get rid of a couple. And also we need to make sure that the strikers we're bringing in are going to hit the ground running fairly quickly. So there's a lot of things at play but it's not fundamental, massive issues. The small issues that could be resolved fairly quickly. Um, I mean, unless it's transfers and we take an absolute age to do so. But um, most of the time on the training ground, I think we can fix quite a lot of the stuff we can, uh, we're can we doing. But speaking of transfers, uh, Rodrigo Muniz, season-long loan, was announced on Sunday. Um, the Brazilian has I took the number nine shirt and a big shirt indeed because, you know, 
Borough always have a, a, a free-flowing goal scorer in num- a number nine. Dates back to Bernie Slaven, who was probably number seven, I think. Um, <laughs> but we're going to do a lowdown video on this, and it's going to be released on Monday. Um, but what's your initial thoughts, Dana, on, on Rodrigo Muniz? Uh, do you think it's a, a good signing for Borough? Do you think it'll give us more of a clinical edge? I've no clue. To be honest with you, I think Muniz follows a bit of a trend of the signings that we've got. It's it's very intriguing how they'll do because none of them have really been established first team strikers and have had that regular regular starting place for for the clubs that that they've been at. Um, so I think it's it's one of intrigue more than excitement. But Borough have been chasing Rodrigo Muniz for what twelve months now, so and probably longer actually. So hopefully the scouts have got this one right. Um, there's no doubt that he's got potential, but I think it's a big we will see with Rodrigo Muniz. Um, I'm hoping that he can do the business for us. It's all that he really needs to do. He needs to be enough, I think, because we'll have enough strikers to share the goals around he just needs to do enough and, and hopefully he can yeah if it stays the same it's uh, Muniz Force Hoppy Akpom Watmore Corburn and I'm thinking I'm, I feel like that, that's the six right? I think that's, that's six. I think that's, that's it the yeah six. I think that's it I feel there'll be someone elsewhere a Kavanagh there you go there's Finch. seven Finch, Finch eight yeah. There you go. <laughs> Tom can play centre forward next week. Hold the ball. Um, Tom, nah, what's your thought? I'm too out here for that formation, mate. <laughs> yeah, you won't fit. You won't fit. Um, but what, what's your thoughts, Tom? Have you got any any initial thoughts on the deal? Appreciate we can, are going to do more in depth, of course. But kind of a little bit similar to, to Dana. Um, I, I kind of feel positive about it. Um, small sample size from last season. I think the. Um, the worry is when you sign a player from from a foreign league is how are they going to adapt in the championship? But to be fair to him, he did get a few decent goals for for Fulham last season, uh, despite being Mitrovic's backup. Um, so I think he clearly has the ability to do well in this league. We just need to provide him with the chances. You know, Fulham were a you know very attacking, decent team last season. Uh, high amount of chances created. I think up until yesterday, we had the highest XG in the the league. I don't know if that's still the case, but, you know, it's clear that we do create chances. So we just need to to get the ball in the right positions for him. I'm sure he can uh, stick him in the back of the net. Okay, then. Well, let's move on to questions then, because each week you can send us a question via Twitter, the email at theboroughbreakdown at hotmail.com, or you can do it via a Telegram chat where we've got over 270 Borough fans in there um, talking Nothing about Bora, it's just everything but um but there is some Bora <laughs> chat in there once in a while, uh, and it's absolutely carnage. But the first question we've got this week is from Twitter it's from Twitter and it's from Simon. Uh, and he says, After the first five games, how many points did you real- realistically think we would have? Um Dana, I think we let's hear all of our opinions on this one. Dana, how many points do you think we were gonna have? Um ten. In all honesty, and I know there's there's only one team that are on ten points, and that's Sheffield United. But uh, I probably was expecting a draw against West Brom. Then I think I predicted two one against QPR. Um, Sheffield United, I wasn't expecting too much. Stoke, I mean, they're in 
warful. I think they're in a warful moment at the moment. Um, there's a lot of toxicity behind the scenes, uh, sorry, in the stands. That's obviously reflected with the results on the pitch. Uh, they're not getting anywhere near what they should with the, with the squad that they've got. And then against Reading, I think this this week I expected us to get six points um, mm. and it just hasn't. Maybe that's just me being naive maybe I should change my expectations maybe I thought more of this team than what I should but I was expecting us to be to be up there um I don't th- I think it was a bit of a mixed start so obviously Sheffield United a good team West Brom have the ability to be a good team but I just yeah 10 points I was thinking and obviously we've got what have we got two three three uh, have we got three three Get in. Yeah. We, we've upped a point from what I initially thought just then. So, yeah, we're we'll getting going up. <laughs> up uh, Tom, how many points do you think we should have had? Uh, 12. Um, honestly, I ex- expected us to win both our home games. Um, you know, I always kind of look at us playing at home, and especially since Wilder came in, not so much towards the end of the back end of last season with, you know, the, the Hull and Huddersfield results, but even, even so, still went into those games thinking we'd win them. I've just going to our home games expecting us to win. Um so against West Brom and Sheffield United, even though in, in hindsight looking at the strength of those two teams, you know, a draws a acceptable result, I still expect us to to win those and it'd be a very hard away game against both of them. Um I never expect us to win against QPR away. Um I just have a always have an awful feeling about that ground. So uh you know don't ever expect us to to get anything, but against Stoke and Reading, I'd fully expect us to win both of them. I think we obviously should have beaten Stoke, and uh, looking at the league table, I'm really surprised at where Reading are um, at the moment. That they're in the playoff places, um, obviously it's still early days, but they do seem to be kind of uh, overachieving. Mm. Which, you know, considering the uh, the four and a loss to Rotherham last weekend and all the uh, the Lumley highlights, I was very kind of shocked to see the table and, and where they were. But yeah, after Stoke, fully expect us to to beat them as well. Okay, then um, I was going to say about seven to nine. Really, I I, I I don't know. I think I think it was I was always expecting like a steady start, but probably not as bad as what it has been. But again, it's like kind of the things where like. West Brom should have put the game to bed. We didn't and got punished for it, you know. Uh, QPR, we didn't start. We had massive. We had a massive chance for what more against Sheffield United. Could have won that one. We fell, as, we fell asleep at the, the key moment of the Stoke game. We didn't get started against Reading, or wait, a game where we should have probably won. Um, we shouldn't have really conceded, really, given how low of a block Reading had. So there's little moments that just haven't went Borough's way, really. Um, but... Again, we've been punished for them, and, and rightly so. This type, this is the standard that you're playing at the championship. You don't show up, you don't get the result, and we just haven't done it. So I kind of think seven to nine points would have been fair, but I wasn't, I wasn't expecting us to be on three. Um, but Dana, the question perfect for you here. Um, it's from Phil, and he says, have we realistically replaced Tav? No. And will we? No. Okay, moving on. I think, uh, no, no, I think yeah. just just expanding on that though, um, there was a Premier League club, and I'm not going to mention the player because every time there's like two players of the same breath, people always assume that I'm compared that, that they're being compared together. But the situations I'm comparing here, where they sold him, they replaced him with I think three players, and I feel like that's what Borough need to do. Not necessarily with three players, but with two, and I think that's what we're seeing with Moore and McGree, and. 
we're not going to replace Tav in one player, I don't think, is, is basically my point. And uh, yeah, uh, I don't think Tav is the reason why Borough have had a, or not having Tav is the reason why Borough haven't had a great start to the season. But I certainly think he's been a, a little bit of a factor in certain moments, in certain games. Um, and I think he will continue. It will continue to be a case of, yeah, we are missing Tav here. Okay, then. next question is from Jonathan. And he says, is a lack of striker the real problem, Tom? Is a lack of striker the real problem? I think it, it can be definitely looked at that with some of the chances we created. Obviously, I know what Moore scored to miss, uh, midweek, but he has missed a few uh, very good chances that we've we've created. And for me, he's not a striker. I think he, he when he was brought in, um, he played winger before, and for me, he's kind of winger converted to striker, and he's done well there. He's um, you know, doing everything that's been asked of him in the system, press as well. You know, he's definitely a, a better winger turn striker than O'Neill Hernandez when uh, while the first game in. So, um, but we do um, lack, you know, some kind of conviction of putting it back in the net. I thought force was going to be that. Um, you know, Ak- Akpom's done well as well. Um, obviously, stuck around and and deserved that, um, and also. You know, Muna's coming in. Hopefully, that's going to help. Um, but I think, you know, it, it's quite well publicised that we're after three more signings, left-sided mm. centre-back, uh, midfielder and a striker. For me, a striker is now the lowest priority of the three, uh, having got two out-and-out strikers in in force and Muniz. Uh, you know, ho- hopefully Hoppy can uh, kick on and, and get, you know, start kind of challenging in the team. Uh, what more Akpom still have a part to play there obviously if, if we do get a striker I probably expect one to leave as well but I think the problem areas on the pitch now uh, are, are other places as well so I think we need to prioritise uh, left side to centre back and midfielder and then come back to striker it, it's probably going to be late in the window and it'll probably be like Larson on deadline day or something but you know, I, I think we need to address the other areas first now Okay, then. Um, next two questions around Borough's defensive wars. Um, Ed says, why are we so rubbish defensively? And Alexa says, why are we playing players out of position? Baller can't play left centre-back. Fry shouldn't be uh, should be playing right centre-back or shouldn't have been asked to play right centre-back. McGree isn't a striker and Watmore really can't play in a front two. Um, I think frustrations is probably is element to both those. I think the defensive side of things, I think we've touched on it quite a lot in the pod today. Uh, really, I think going back to basics, like we've mentioned, is probably going to be improvements and also Borough switching off in key moments has been really key to Borough conceding goals. Um, and then also the the players, playing players out of position, Baller, I think, has, has done relatively okay at left centre-back. I don't think he's done horrendous. It's just, it's okay. Like, not great, not horrendous. Like, awful yeah um, I agree. um and then fry playing right center back again we can switch that out with lenahan or um with or we've put dyke steel there maybe put fry as a stopper and then mcgree's playing more of a flowing role in that number 10 role that's what you, what you kind of want because if he floats around and, and causes problems by coming to the ball he it should be bouncing off him most of the time or he should be getting in around the back line he didn't do that yesterday hence why he looked really ineffective um, and then what more? Yeah, like, what more's a bit of a conundrum, really, isn't he? I think sometimes he has unbelievable moments. He has horrendous moments, and I think he can play in a front two. It's just finding the right person to to play in the two with him, and it's also managing his game time as well. Uh, but 
Go on, Dana, are you going to say something? Yeah, I was just going to say something about uh, being bad defensively. Our XGA, our expected goals against per info goal, it's 5.5. Borough have conceded mm-hmm. nine goals, so we've conceded almost double the amount of our expected output. So for me, it's not a fundamental problem. It's mistakes. I'm thinking mm-hmm. the first goal that we conceded, West Brom, McGree caught on his heels, Lenahan being aggressive, stepping out, getting caught behind on the counter. Uh, QPR, simple square ball from Jones that's just very poor, intercepted, get caught on the counter again, mistake from Stefan, poor marking from the corner. Sander Birch goal, yeah, fair enough. We could have probably closed him down a little bit better against Sheffield United. Then we score for them. And then uh, Stoke, obviously, the, the first goal shouldn't have counted because it was a foul. And then the equalisers just again poor lapse of concentration um poor marking even and the goal yesterday it's it's a poor defensive clearance poor defensive header from baller and then you kind of say yeah fair play um fantastic strike from fauna but there's just really like like i said earlier the one percent moments that count the most defensively but are just not getting right at the moment and i'm hoping that that can be a case of it's just eradicated as, as quickly as it possibly can be and that eventually we'll kind of be <laughs> excuse me playing sailing a little bit more but at the moment it's just defensive mistake after defensive mistake and it's really infuriating mm. you can't manage like simple mistakes like that can you in the game it's very difficult for a manager to do so but it's what the players have, have been doing and i think you, you spot on d to be honest uh next question <laughs> i absolutely love this twitter, hand, twitter handle it's carlos de punner uh <laughs> it's just brought, got me uh, to be honest <laughs> i was quite a crease when i found it um but why has Wilder seemingly based his team on possession rather than turnarounds and counters, not showing any of the qualities his United team did? Um, his United team had probably more counter-attacking element to him to them in comparison to Borough, but a team that plays a lot more possession sometimes hides the, the weaknesses that it could potentially have uh, defensively, which I think is why Borough probably been more dominant in the possession world than there should be um i think that it's not necessarily a bad thing there's you got to go in as a manager chop and change and, and play a way that suits the players that you've got rather than comparing a sheffield united side who had one set of players to a or a team that has a completely different set different skill sets and strengths so i think you've got to adapt that as as, as a manager anyway um in terms of quality, do, like, do we have the yeah. players to play on the counter though? Because we don't have a ball carrier in midfield now that we don't have Tav. And I'd say, yeah, Jones and 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 uh, Giles are relatively quick, but they're possession based players. And when we broke Giles down, it was a case of you know we have to have possession, otherwise you know if we get counted on, um, or if for example you've got a situation where Giles has to defend, it's not his strength, it's not his core strength. So do we have the players to counter? Is probably my question in response to that i don't think we do like i I think um you know wilder coming into the team we all said when when you know warnock was still in charge last year the players that we have are more technically suited to a to a better system uh than than what warnock was was playing i think wilder's just kind of having to to play to their strengths and i think their strengths are a Position-based system. I'm probably one of the the worst people to talk about Sheffield United when they were when they won promotion because I, I didn't watch a, a whole lot of them other than when we played them. But um, you know, I, I think at, at the moment it, it, it is what it is in, in terms of um, 
you know the, the strengths of our players. Um, I, I think you know Sheffield United might have been more suited to to that counter attacking system, but we're probably more suited to possession, but within the same kind of system. Mm. I think we've got to mitigate risk. To be honest, mitigate risk and play to the strengths of Giles and and, and Jones. Really, like I say, like Giles is defensively is could still do a lot of work to improve on it. And same with like Jones we, as well. And the same with Jones as well. So I think the reason why we get caught at times is because we advance our fullback so much and try to have like a more of like a cover of the pitch, and we were so spread out at times. We do have a lot of space in in certain areas of the pitch where a team can manipulate that quite quite well, um, especially if you're a good counter attacking team with pace. Um, I think that's where we, we're going wrong at times. But again, like. I think to, to get the best out of the players that sometimes we've got within Giles and Jones, it's really key that we do keep possession. But we, I also come back to that centre defensive midfield role, someone who can really pick up a pass and, and get Bora moving fairly quickly is really vital to probably that. Um, and that kind of comes with cover for House and, and trying to battle that position because how, there's going to be a time where House might get injured or whatever. And we need someone to occupy that role fairly well. I don't think McNair fits that role. I think Dyke still potentially does. Um, but I think we just need something a bit different or something that was a bit more possession savvy in, in those moments uh, to, to help progress more further if we were to continue that system. Last question, it was from Ty, and he says, how important is the last few days of the window after the performances this week? Tom, how on a scale of not important and very important, how important is it? Uh, very important. Um, I think, as I said earlier, we've got two positions where I think we desperately need to address them. And just to kind of touch on something you've just said there about, you know, um, Giles and Jones leaving a lot of space. I think a left-sided centre-back, uh, it, I mean, it, it's kind of joint top priority with someone else in midfield because, as you said, Bowler will do okay at left centre-back. I think we're all very aware he's covering that position at the moment. It's not his natural position. I think in terms of a positional sense and being willing to kind of get stuck into a tackle, um, I don't think he's that. But I think we signed a, le- a natural left-sided centre-back that can help cover the uh, the space Giles leaves quite effectively, especially if someone who's quite kind of aggressive and and will get stuck into a tackle to win the ball back. Um, same with with midfielders. You say if um, you know Housen. Uh, needs you know a, a, few, a couple of games off, um, or you know isn't isn't playing on form. We need someone in there to replace him with and earn up the tempo in in, in midfield. Um, so I'd say those are two important areas that we need to address. And I think as soon as we address them, um, we we go in for a striker as well. But I do I kind of think now now that we're down to three signings left this might be the time where we see some kind of more marquee signings and, and spending more money than we have been. I'm not saying we're, we're going to go kind of crazy and you know spend £15 million on on a striker because we've all seen how that ends up before. But um, <laughs> I, I think the, these are probably the most important positions that we, we needed to address. Uh, we obviously got quite a lot in terms of incoming uh, transfer revenue. Don't expect us to spend it, spend it all, but I do think uh, we will spend more than, than we have been. But I still think we'll be we'll be clever about it. Okay, then. Well, let's look ahead to Swansea now, then. Uh, welcome, uh, Swansea, to the Riverside on next Saturday. The Swans are sitting 19th in the championship table with one win of five and are coming off a 
2-0 home defeat to Luton. But to understand how things are looking uh, in Southwest Wales, we spoke to Matt from the the, the excellent foreseeable Twitter page uh, to get some analysis on Swansea this season. Hi, it's Matthew from Foreseeable on Twitter here. After the initial optimism following a full pre-season under Russell Meyer and poor results and performances early on have squashed any initial hopes that we'd be competing in the top end of the championship. It looked against Blackpool following a late win and then 90 minutes against Millwall where we were excellent that we turned a corner, but obviously this followed with two own goals and added time, which alarmingly was the fourth time in 10 games. A two-plus goal lead has been thrown away in the latter stages of a game, showing a soft underbelly to the squad. And even if we take the lead against Middlesbrough on Saturday, I wouldn't lose hope whatsoever as we've shown constantly being unable to hold a lead. And then we followed this capitulation against Millwall with a very poor performance against Luton, which has led to some fans calling for Russell Martin to be sacked, but this is far too premature at this stage. So far, we've signed four players, Harry Darling being the pick of the bunch, as expected, for 1.4 million. He looks very, very good on the left, constructing attacks from the back. He obviously scored that excellent goal against Rotherham on the opening day and leads championship players for progressive runs from the back. Joe Allen has returned to the club after 10 years and has looked good uh, in his early games and shown grit unlike a lot of the other players. But he's just back from a long-term injury and he's to be carefully managed Matthew Sarnolo was brought in from uh, Belgium after playing under Russell Martin MK Dons a couple of years ago. But having not played much football in the last year, he looks well off the pace and lack, seems to lack confidence at the moment, leading to a lot of Swansea fans to write him off after just five games. But I definitely give him time. Uh, Nathan Wood obviously was signed from Middlesbrough and he's had a bit of a mixed start to be fair. He's got caught out on the ball a couple of times and did score. he was one of the players who scored an own goal against Millwall. But for £400,000 looks a useful squad player and prospect. One to watch out for on Saturday is academy graduate Cameron Congreve. Uh, the 19-year-old has looked very lively in his cameo so far and could get a start against Middlesbrough given how poor we performed against Luton. Initially, I think most Swansea fans thought we'd be competing top 10, maybe top 6, but Russell Martin last night has said that we can't even afford loans, and given how threadbare our squad is, this raises a lot of concerns as to where we'll finish in the table. We've poor depth pretty much across the board, to be fair, and we're playing square pegs and round holes. For example, starting the season, we played Joel Abodier, a centre-back by trade, as a right-wing back, and in a Russell Martin system... Right wing backs are key to starting attacks. Well, both wing backs are key to starting attacks and are often one of the highest players on the field and we had a centre-back playing there. But he has since dislocated his shoulder and is out for four months. And following talks with the owners, Russell has said they're not willing to sanction any replacement deal, which again raises more concerns. And then you have Joel Perot, who could easily leave if a bid probably more than £10 million after initially wanting 15-20 comes to the table and then we lose most of our goals. So at the moment, it's quite unknown as to how we'll finish, but I think most Swansea fans would take an improvement on 15th from last year. On Saturday, despite Middlesbrough starting poor results-wise, they actually lead the expected goals table. And given the feeling around Swansea at the moment, I would definitely back a Middlesbrough win. Uh, I think Ryan Giles will have an easy game, given Swansea are poor down the right-hand side. And I think it'll be quite comfortable 
throughout the game for Middlesbrough, especially off the ball, were fairly uncreative and poor on poor defending transitions. So I'm gonna go two 0 Middlesbrough, and even if Swansea do take the lead, don't be concerned because we'll probably throw it away. Matt, uh, following a really good tradition on this podcast by saying the team is absolutely horrendous and they're going to probably beat us about 5-0 now. So thank you for that. Uh, thank you for that, Matt. But no, really, really good analysis there. And it's a really good Twitter page. Well. So if you can give them a, a follow, if you haven't already, please do. Um, really good stuff uh, from them. But guys, <laughs> they were particularly, you know thinking that they're going to get something at the weekend, but are we going to get something at the weekend? How can you, how do you think we're going to do in terms of predictions? Uh, Dana, what's your prediction? Oh, this is bold. You know, I'm going to go for 3-0 Borough because I think it has to click eventually. And what better time for it to click than in front of the Borough fans? Um, surely one afternoon, one evening, it's, it's all going to come together. And I think what Matt was saying, they're very kind of downheartened about the way that Swansea are playing. Uh, they're a very topsy-turvy team, so they could easily beat us 3-0, to be honest. But I think for me... After the disappointment of of the Reading game, I think we'll we'll beat them and beat them comfortably. So, yeah, three 0 three 0 Tom, I hope that God is right there. Um, <laughs> Same. I've, I've, I've got two one Borough just because I can't see where a clean sheet's going to come from at the moment. I think there's always like that that one defensive error that will will make, and you know Swansea will probably score first as well, but. Uh, like I say, I, I always expect us to win our home matches. Um, so, yeah, to one borough. Okay, then. Do you think we'll see any changes at all to the to the team? Tom? I hope so. Um, I, I want to see similar changes to what Dana said earlier. Um, I want to mm. see Dyke Steele back at right centre-back. I want to see McNair at left centre-back until we sign a natural left centre-back. Because um, like I said, said earlier, um, I don't think... You know, playing Fry at right centre back and Bowler at left centre back, and so the answer because neither of them can can play out from the back as as well as Dyke Steele and McNair can. Um, also, I think the it should be back to a two up front, um, and I would go with Muniz and Force for that front two. Okay, Dana. Yeah, I'd agree. I think agree. Muniz is the sort of uh, what we've sort of seen from uh, Fulham fans so far is that he's a bit physical and that he can definitely make the ball stick. Uh, that could be a really good partner to to Force, who we know is not so much involved in the build up play as he is in in the six yard box. So yeah, I think that that would be what I would go for. And then Crooks and McGree in in the middle with Housen, um, obviously forming the the end part of that triangle in the middle. Okay, then I'm going to go prediction-wise, 2-1 Borough. I agree with you both and the changes that we'll we'll see at the weekend. And finally, just the average possession for Swansea, Tom, is 67%. We've had a question earlier saying, can Borough be a counter-attacking team? Is this a good time to prove it? Um, well, I, I wouldn't want to kind of see that happen playing at home. Uh, I think that, that kind of gives them too much to, to work with. But I think it's going to be a similar game to last season. Uh, I thought it was a very difficult game for, for both teams last season in terms of uh, both of them want to keep possession. Um, I think we're just going to need to press well and, and cut the passing lanes. And I'd like to see Muniz and Force putting a lot of pressure on their back line. Uh, you know, it's it's quite young. We've got like Nathan Wood there. Um, you know, 
I think you you put the pressure on them them early on, force them into mistakes, um, and I think that's the the way to you know stop them from playing out from the back, um, and and you know give us the the ball to have more emphasis on our attack. I think with Swansea, you need to turn them over quickly. You need to get them in behind because last season that was a, a really big part of teams trying to counter what they can give you. And I think if we win the ball back and then quickly spring, I think that would be good. But then. Um, a quick revision to what I said just there. I'd like more in instead of McGree. Um, so, yeah, I think get them in behind and hopefully we can get that 3-0 victory that I am so desperate for. <laughs> yeah, it's all about pressing the four, isn't it? The four and the, the centre-backs on that initial, for that building phase. I think once you you you, you stop them in that, that building phase, I think it's going to be a, a reasonably good afternoon. I think as you let them progress through, like, the thirds, that's where, like... You start to like peg back a little bit, and be that's where it'll be difficult for Borough probably at the weekend. But I think all in all, I think we've we've got enough. We I think we have to. You've said that we have to click this time. Then there might be a little bit more concern if we don't get the result. But yeah, it's it's a big game. I think Saturday for us just to hopefully kickstart our season. But guys, thank you very much for joining me as always. And to listeners and the viewers, thank you very much for watching us on YouTube or on your podcast provider and rating us five star and subscribing to our YouTube channel as well. We've got a lot more content coming out over the next few days as we approach the end of the transfer window. But for right now, it's 41 games to go and there's a big game coming up and signings on the horizon. Hopefully, It'll all be sunny in Middlesbrough soon. But this has been the Borough Breakdown podcast, and that was all your Borough Match Day chatter in a pod. Up the Borough Breakdown. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mother's Day is just around the corner, and it's time to pamper the special moms in your life. In what better way than with Osea's limited edition skincare sets, featuring clean, vegan, cruelty-free products that are safe for your skin and the planet. Osea is a women-founded, women-led brand that's been making seaweed-infused products for nearly 30 years. This Mother's Day, Osea has two limited edition sets, perfect for gifting or keeping for yourself. Their Golden Glow Body Set includes three clinically proven bestsellers for silky, smooth, glowing skin, while the Glow and Go Facial Set has everything she needs to achieve spa-level results at home. They're so beautiful, you can skip the wrapping. For a limited time, you can save up to $48 on Osea's sets, plus get free shipping. That's Mother's Day made easy. Pamper the moms in your life and get 10% off your first order site-wide with code MOM at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu dot com code mom.